welcome to the Tom Golly official podcast. And with me today is an amazing individual. He's a singer, songwriter, entrepreneur, entrepreneur, uh, and the former lead singer of the City Harmonic. Everyone knows, if you know Christian music, everyone knows their hit song manifesto. Uh, welcome, Elias Dummer. What's up, buddy? Hey, Tom. How you doing, buddy? It is awesome to have you here. Thank you. Thanks, for man. Coming and. You know, I, I'll be honest, when I sent the invite to you, I kind of take odds and go, he ain't coming. Oh, really? And you were like, yeah, sounds fun. Let's do it. I'm like, cool. All right. <laughs> All right. Cool. Like, th this this is good. And to be fair, I'd say a majority of the people I've asked, um, no one said, very few have said no. Most yeah. are like, yes, but can we wait till 2021? I got a lot going on. Right. Sure. It's been really, really gratifying to me to be like, oh, cool. Not everyone's scared because I've had people who are nervous. Uh, um, my engineer over there, Nathan, he, he can attest. I've had people come in here very nervous. What are we going to talk about? Oh, really? Uh, yeah, because I think you know it is, and I think maybe maybe you've had this happen. Have Have you ever had anybody say to you like, "Man, you're different in person than I thought you'd be because of social media"? Oh, maybe. I mean, I spend a so I feel like I spend a bigger chunk of my. I hate to say the word career, but public work, I guess, uh -huh. talking. Yeah. So, like, I do a fair bit of video talking. I do, mm. a fair bit, you know, I, I'll teach on stuff. I write. Yeah. I've been writing for years. So, like, music is a piece of what I'm trying to do. That makes sense. And so I wonder if that's maybe less the case where people have a mm. maybe a sense of what they're going to get. Yeah, because what, what I run into is, you know, I've had people be like, well, because people seem to think I'm, I, I love to argue and debate. And I don't. I mean, I will stand up for myself. Sure. I will defend my position. But it's always, like, I know how I mean it. And it's yeah. very, so, like, you know, for argument's sake, if you had, you know, actually, we've actually, uh, you maybe don't remember, like, we've actually argued on Facebook about Marvel movies. Oh, probably. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's like, but it's never like. It's never like people think it is. It's right. never this, you know, and maybe because I'm, I'm a big six foot over 300 pound guy, sure. people think I'm like, yeah. I'm always like, well, you know, I, I just have this demeanor of like, look, what we're talking about, not that serious. Yeah. It's not that important. Well, I grew up around you know? nerds, man. I mean, that's yeah. like, and I am one. So it, there's <laughs> sort of this like debate part of growing up that is what you do with your friends too. Yeah. There's a familiarity to And it means, to it means very it little. As yeah, far as, it's, yeah. It's connection. You're, you're, I mean, and I'm, I'm also not a person who likes, I really enjoy conversation. I enjoy uh, throwing ideas around. Even disagreement is okay. Mm. When things get like spicy yeah. or like when you get a sense where it's like crossed into the real yeah, that's where I'm kind of like, yeah, that's not my game. I'm not, yeah. you know, I'm too Canadian for that. But, yeah. but I, I'm, I'm all about a good, a good debate. You know, I think one of the last hot take. I think one of the last times I commented on something, uh, of uh, when it seemed like every time a movie came out, you hated it, and I'm like, okay, we get it. You hate every movie. Oh, right, right. Okay, so that was probably about. If I had to guess, I don't hate every movie. I love a lot of movies. That was probably about a Ready Player One. Um, it, gosh, I don't even know. It which, just... which, I mean, you know, hot take land. I, I adored the book. Yeah. Like it was a great, great book. Second book was not good at all, but sure. ready player one was fantastic. But when the movie came out, it was not, it did not live. And it had so much going for it. Yeah. I was really bummed you out. You know, I, I feel like a movie like that would be incredible if they remade it, but meant to be experienced like in VR. 
Oh, interesting. Yeah, that would be they're starting to make crazy. They're starting to make VR movies yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. We're like, you know, you're a soldier among people. That would be kind of neat to be like... Like a fly on the wall. Or, or even just be like this, this this side character that you're in his perspective. Oh, interesting, yeah. You know, um, just be... And, and I think because that would be very interesting and almost immersive feeling. Yeah. Because like, that's what the movie is supposed to be. They're in this immersive environment. Totally. So I would love to see that happen. That's cool. I think where they try to sell that movie heavily was on... Well, Spielberg. The, well, it's Spielberg and, of course, on you know, some of the nostalgic elements in yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I think they, over, they overplayed their hand in that regard, which is interesting because I was at first thinking, man, I wonder who they had write the screenplay. Yeah. And then it went back and the author worked heavily on the screenplay. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's a bummer because I thought the book was great. Yeah. Second book was the same tricks. So I struggle with a lot of like a lot of the modern sci-fi now where um, with some of these movies and just creatively like I'm the type of person who, you know, I'll start watching a movie and, yeah. and a good amount of the time, like, oh, I, I see where they're going and yeah. I'm right. Sometimes they get me and I'm like, yeah. oh, I'm glad they did. Yeah. Uh, like I can't watch Law and Order. It's the same every right. time. I sure. can predict it instantly. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's the shtick. You know, and I have a problem with like shows like that where it's like, okay, you're telling me a 20 year trained detective, they got the drop on them that easily right. come on like i just have trouble with that but sure um which what, what i struggle with a lot of this modern sci-fi stuff now like and i even argued with my wife about this uh, a little bit where uh we not that we argue much but we argue about movies sometimes <laughs> we watched uh the quiet place and the quiet place okay. too sure i haven't seen now, them okay spoiler alert uh, the little girl who's deaf somehow figures out that those monsters are um like, like, really sensitive to like high pitched frequencies, sure, right? You know, and then they open up this armor on their head, and they can be killed. And I'm kind of thinking to myself, going, "I'm almost certain somebody somewhere figured out how to take these things out." There's just right. trained marines who can snipe in a heartbeat, sure. especially those things when they're looking for something, the yeah. side of their head opens to listen. You're going to tell me a trained sniper from a mile away didn't take them out. Come on. Like I just struggle with that kind of thing. Going, sure. Hmm. So some kids living on a farm for right. 400 days after some invasion thing, but you know, my wife and her wisdom goes, well, sweetie, maybe the invasion happened so fast. No one had time, but I'm still like, but somebody had to have figured yeah. this out. Somebody. Yeah. yeah. So, and there's a lot of movies like that where oh, yeah. we watch where it's like, like, Oh, the 15 year old kid figured this thing out that nobody on the planet figured out. Come right. on. Come yeah. On. No, I get that. But I, I think, I think for me, like movies outside of like dramatic realism, which is pretty rare, mm, right? True. Almost all movies Utterly depend on the suspension of reality. Like they, that, they depend on this is a universe in which this very ridiculous scenario is happening. Mm -hmm. Like one of my favorite movies is Arrival, and you're watching this. It's I, I like movies that tend towards the like almost essay style. Like Arrival's really great that way. Um, and you've got this, you know, a lady is talking to a giant octopus through a piece of glass. Like that's most of the movie. If you break it down to its nuts and bolts, it's ridiculous. Yeah. But what's, what's behind the movie is this incredible conversation about language and connection and all of these things. And so I think like sometimes with movies, sci-fi is interesting in that because sci-fi is almost always projecting an imagined future, right? Yeah. So you almost get to write the rules every time anyway. That's true. You know? Yeah. Um, which is sort of one of the things that like, I, like I love Star Wars, like many of us, right? Yeah. And it might've been maybe this hot take you're reacting to. Like 
I, I, I enjoyed the original three. I think Empire was the best of them. Right. And there's a, there's that's there's two types of Star Wars fans. There's guys who liked Empire and guys who liked everything else. Right. And so, like, I loved Rogue One. I, I thought that was mm. great. I thought that the other three movies were not great. I thought they were fine, you know, and partly because you mean like, the, are you meaning the prequels in the prequels? Okay. Yeah. Well, not on not, not the prequels in the new movies. OK, because like, you know, you look at like Superman is a relatively boring superhero. Because he can't, like, they had to invent a new thing to beat him because they quickly realized he was a boring character. Like, right. cute for three issues. And then, like, oh, we need kryptonite, guys. If there's no kryptonite, there's no story. Right. There's no risk. There's no story. Right? Yeah. And I think that's often the problem with Jedi in the Star Wars universe is there's no risk to Jedi. They die, and then they become some ether. They, there's sort of this, like, invulnerability. The only risk is one of moral character. Right. And for the most part, their moral characters, except for Darth Vader, are all really defined. So you get this arc of this story, like, the more centered on Jedi adventures as opposed to, say, Luke going, sure. oh, maybe I'm this and I'm becoming this. There's something morally and ethically in character sure. that's no, that makes sense. developed in Luke that doesn't happen after that. And right. and so like the new movies are like oh all of the arc of the main character is like oh here she is now she's the superhero she didn't do any of the work any of the training she just is and yeah, I, there's there's sort of this like gap to the story whereas like the the universe itself is fascinating in Star Wars yeah and so I've I've always really loved the like like and I love it, it also says a lot about a movie when like Mark Hamill yeah is like. I hate this. Yeah. You right. know, yeah. and and you you hear about an idea he had in the first the yeah. first movie with Ray yeah. that he had that would have been like that would have been epic. Yes, and right. the writers went yeah, we're no. not seeing it. Yeah. yeah we I can't did, we can't sell action figures you, to that. Well, you heard about that where yeah, he I talked did, yeah. about the scene in the snow where she's fighting him and then all of a sudden like he's like the lightsaber should fly past uh Kylo Ren into Luke's hand. Luke fights Kylo Ren, rescues her right. and then trains her. Sure. Yeah, right. Right, right. Yeah. Great way to start. Yeah, great nope. way to get it going. Yeah. No, let, let's have her climb a mountain and fight him, have him go, yeet. Yeah, like, totally. That's not Luke Skywalker. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think I think that's that's really the thing is like the Jedi, there's a lot of talk um about the this kind of mythic story arc that a lot of movies follow, mm -hmm. right? Um, and one of the things is sort of the basic lay down, and actually Donald Miller talks about it in some of his business books, but it's a really common thing. Yeah. Uh, it's really similar to, to Freya's dramatic arc and all of this kind of stuff. It's like there's this idea that like a person, a main character has this crisis or discovers a problem, and then they meet some other secondary character who becomes a guide of sorts towards their kind of overcoming this thing and actualizing the self. Yeah. And this this is true of like a huge chunk of stories, movies. I mean, this is a common thread in almost all stories. The, the, the dilemma that the new Star Wars movies had was that the Jedi made great Gandalfs. <laughs> they made great guides to the everyman character becoming something bigger than what he was. That's what Star Wars was. And they totally lost sight of that in the new movies. And so like, that's really where like Mandalorian is a great example. So where they did that exact same thing where the child became the guide to the Mandalorian's character development. Right. Even though he couldn't speak, he couldn't, that was the genius of the Mandalorian was that they did this same common narrative arc that we know through it, all of these stories through a character that couldn't speak. 
Yeah. And I think that's amazing. Yeah. And, I, you know, I, I think the attention to detail in that Mandalorian is so good. Um, I, you know, I can't recall the, uh, the, the main actor's name. Um, the guy who plays the yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you probably can't either right? yeah right now yeah <laughs> he's just mando you know yeah but um there's the scene with um with when he actually has to take his helmet off and he's he they're like undercover yeah with, uh-huh. with bill yep. burr yeah the detail and i don't know if this is written this way or the acting but and go back and watch this and you'll see what happens there's a scene where like you know he's just kind of like what are you doing right now you and i would probably be like we'd look over with our eyes, but he's such a good actor and used to wearing the helmet that yeah. in order to look that way, he has to turn his head. Right. Every time he looks somewhere, he turns his head, not his eyes. Right. And I'm just like, that's so detailed. Yeah. That's yeah. They, amazing. They pay really close attention to that. That's yeah. cool. And it's like, it just, it's so, it's so well done. Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, I do hate that they got a little political with some stuff and they fired, uh, a, a, sure. what I thought was a character that had a lot of potential. Yeah. Um, Hopefully th- that turns around and they fix that. They, yeah, they yeah. write that. But you know, at the end of the day, man, like the, the cinema and and the Star Wars, the Star Wars has they got a chance to redeem themselves moving forward, and I hope mm. they do. Because well, it's, and it's interesting because I think um, you know there was a lot of nerves about Disney getting involved with Marvel and with Star Wars and all of that. But you look at what Disney's done with the Marvel universe and. They've embraced story and they've embraced character. And I think The Mandalorian is kind of the first shot at Star Wars going, hey, we can maybe embrace character yeah. and make make these human stories. And I think for too long they were like, these are space magic stories. Mm. And I was like, no, we don't care about space magic stories. No one wants that. Well, there's yeah. a there's a good reason John Favreau's my hero. Right, totally. Yeah. <laughs> but besides actually having people tell me I look like him, uh, <laughs> which I don't at all see it. But yeah. There was a movie he did called Chef, where uh-huh. someone's like, "Dude, that's you." Yeah. And I realized why he has a couple of outbursts during the oh, show funny. during the movie, um, and it's like, oh, now I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's loud and demonstrative. They're like, yeah, that's Tom. Like, oh, yeah, man, yeah, that's hilarious. That. Yeah, but man, so um, besides being like a cinema, um, uh, a cinephile, if you will. Well, yeah, okay, yeah. You know, if uh, <laughs> maybe not as much as Michael Bolton, you know. What yeah, I'm referring no, to? I'm, yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm referring to a Lonely Island um, song, which you know I probably shouldn't direct any Christians to. Don't listen to that <laughs> uh, at all. Don't don't check it out. Um, but. Um, you know, so you 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 come from a long history of being a musician and mm-hmm. an artist and a creative, and mm-hmm. uh, so talk about that a little bit. What, um, like, so it, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and like, hey, you know, get, go back to the beginning for sure. you because I know that that's not super super interesting to a lot of people. But let's talk about okay, you had uh, you had the city harmonic. Mm-hmm. You guys had uh, uh, particularly one hit song that was everywhere. Right. Um, I mean, every time I sat down with someone who played piano in a church, they started playing the piano part to manifesto. Right, sure. You know, and you challenge them to keep it going, and they can't even make it through the intro before their hands (laughs) are done, you know. Um, And so you had that, and you guys toured for a long time Mm -hmm. and and did your thing. Um, What? So, And then you guys just kind of weren't around anymore. Right, yeah. So can you can you sure yeah I mean the short answer uh, it's obviously more complicated than this but the short answer is cancer I mean we we as a band had come up through this kind of uh, interchurch you could say ecumenical movement in Hamilton Canada Ontario Canada not the play yeah that's right not the play just outside Toronto 
Um, so Hamilton, you know, the city used to make steel, stopped making steel for the most part, and that led to a lot of unemployment, which led to a lot of poverty. Oh, wow. And so I grew up in a really poor city, in, in a poor neighborhood in a poor city. So what happened was through our high school years, a lot of churches started working together um, missionally to try to improve downtown, and that really worked. And then a couple churches became 30 churches, and over time Hamilton went from being one of the poorest cities in the country to one of the top real estate investment cities in the country. And some part of that was played by the church working together across denominational lines to invest yeah. in neighborhoods. So the whole ethos of our band was this idea that like we as people were this sort of thing that mattered together. And we, we had come from different churches. We'd all been involved in leading kind of the student arm of that movement. And so Meanwhile, I had been kind of doing the industry thing all along. So I got my first publishing deal when I was like 20, 21. Um, it was pretty unique circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a and, – and, and so like there was – I was always in the industry and I brought that to what we were as a band. Um, but we got signed on the back of existing relationships. Like the truth is City Harmonic was signed to a record contract uh, prior to our EP release show for our first EP. Oh, wow. So it was just because those relationships had already existed. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and what we did with the EP was novel, and that goes a long way. And so, you know, a lot of that happened. Well, you know, that's 20, 2009, we're talking to the labels. 2010, we're signed, and our EP is coming out. Manifesto starts to get on the radio. 2011, I Have a Dream hits, and that album did really, really well. And so we're kind of in this, like, oh, we've now done three things, and it's, you know— the hockey stick kind of growth. It's like, this is great. And then um, we start approaching 2012, kind of at the end of 2011. We're all home for Christmas. Um, and uh, and Eric, who played bass in the band, got uh, was diagnosed with leukemia. And so he then oh, spent um, the better part of the next probably two and a half, three years, from late 2011, really through the beginning of 2014, uh, in, a, in in and out of hospital wow. with leukemia. And so we went through a number of guys who were friends of ours from back home who would fill in and play bass. And eventually one guy, Steve, played probably throughout our career, played more shows as part of City Harmonic than Eric did. Um, Eric came back after cancer, and we sort of tried to regroup in a sense. I mean, we had our first EP, then we had I Have a Dream, very narrow in our vision. We knew yeah. what we were trying to do. And to the point where we were invested enough in it that there was like even a little bit of like tension in the studio. And I think you can in the, that actually made for a better record in my opinion, you know, looking back, it's like, Oh, we made a great, we made good art cause we cared. Yeah. You know, um, it, when we came back to record our second record heart, uh, it was Eric's f- really his first venture outside of cancer in a couple of years where he was like, okay, we're going to try to do this. But he was in no place to, like, write the cancer record, which he still is working on himself. And so it's sort of this, like, processing that was not where he was. Meanwhile, every other member of the band, we had been, like, high-flying globetrotters for the last two and a half years, playing arenas in Europe and then coming back to re- to write our second record, you know? Yeah. Like, all of this stuff. So it's just we were in, like... Different in places. Different places and good friends. And so that record sounds confused heart because it was yeah. we were like in a place of not knowing at all what to do so then we came back to our third lp which ended up being called we are um and uh it, it was originally going to be called something else uh but i shared i won't say who but i shared the title in conversation with a friend 
who's a little forgetful um, at the time. And uh, they ended up titling their album the thing that we were going to title our album. So we had to change everything. So um, so we did. And so we ended up with We Are the City Harmonic. And Doesn't it, sound like a very good friend. Uh, no, 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 no. They are. They're actually really great. They're I'm great. But it was, it was, a, it was definitely like a, 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 oh, okay, this person just forgot where they heard the word from. Yeah, it can happen. I, yeah, I, it happens. And it happens to all of us. Um, but the the thing was that, like, so we ended up with We Are the City Harmonic, this real attempt at, like, a regroup. Like, yeah. why are we what we are? Mm-hmm. What are we trying to be? Who are we? All of that. Um, and so we really wanted to center on that, which was this idea of kind of churches working together and what was happening. And it's not lost in me that that was 2015. Yeah. You know, right before we started ending up in a period which is, you know, easily the most divided of our lives, yep. you know? So I was like, the significance of that wasn't lost on me, but how it was managed and things that happened behind the scenes ended up with the record kind of not mattering yeah. in the end. Um, and so our deal with integrity finished. And by the time we, so we spent the better part of late 2015 doing these things called We Are events, where we would literally, the members of the band would take the phone book, we would look up all the churches. All of like the, you know, presumably creedal Christian churches, mm. call them all ourselves, say, can we talk to the pastor or the youth pastor, whoever would take our call, invite them to a round table. And so we would go to these round tables and we would tell the story of what had happened in Hamilton. We also made a movie about what's called We Are the City Harmonic. You can watch it on YouTube. It's a documentary about 45, 48 minutes long, uh, produced by Jesse Hunt, who made the manifesto video and a bunch of our better videos. Um, and, uh, it's, it's really, really cool, but it's about the story of how the church working together in unity in Hamilton mattered, made a big difference. Yeah. Um, so we were trying to tell that story to city, small cities across the U S to say, Hey guys, like, yes, there are things you might disagree on, but if you can find common ground, there's a lot you can do. And that's not a pie in the sky. Why don't we all just get along thing? I mean, real practical nuts and bolts stuff. Yeah. It's like if, if you, in Hamilton, you go, okay, city's poor. If the church can invest in neighborhoods in a way that turns specific neighborhoods around, that neighborhood can't ignore the church and think it's not relevant. Right. And so the church so often doesn't reduce things to a problem it can actually solve. And so we would go around to cities and say, okay, well, we, you know, we're outside of Philadelphia and, and we're saying, okay, well, what what's a big problem here? They're like, oh, drug trafficking through this area. And a lot of kids get into drug trafficking because of lack of education and lack of options. So they're like, okay, well, what's playing a role in that? And they're like, well, um, there's, a, there's a, I mean, there's, a, there's, it's a complicated issue. There's a lot to it, but at the very least, you know, uh, the, the, in this particular neighborhood, um, there's a lot of single mom families, and a lot of those moms are working moms. These are kids who are coming home with nothing to do and nobody paying attention to them, and they don't have any father figure roles except for these guys who are in drug trafficking. So they're like, okay, wow, what can we do about that? They're like, oh, I guess we could divide up the schools between our churches. And the men at our churches and make a reading program. And so they did. That's what they did. It's like such a simple, cost no money. It was just, how do we organize our people around something worthwhile? And they did that, you know? I mean, that was years ago. I don't know yet what the fruit of that is. And that's a rare thing, I feel like, to to get... (laughs) So I realized that one of the biggest challenges is someone like myself, I want to help people. I always want to help people. Yeah. But the biggest thing is, no matter what, 
uh, you know, it's to get them to take action on what the problem, you know. Oh, totally. Prob- yeah, yeah, yeah. So the fact that you were able to find a way to get these churches and these people to take action. Sure, is yeah. The rare, is the rare part. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, totally. But I think the hard part, the reality that needs to be known is that tour broke us financially. We lost over 100 grand doing that tour. I can imagine. Because it was not, I mean, our, and and there was a point at the end of that tour where Eric, again, who had been, recovering from cancer, was trying to find his strength and see, do I still have this in me? He was like, man, if this is the tour that breaks us, it's worth it. It's probably the best thing we ever did. Yeah. You know, we did that all over the country. And so it, it kind of did in a way. It, it Eric realized that the stress of touring and all of that, it was shortly into 2016 before he was like, man, I, I actually can't do this anymore, like just physically. And we're very good yeah. friends. There was no, you know, interpersonal issue. It yeah. was just like he couldn't do it. And we never wanted to do the thing of like, the city harmonic being a front for me. Right. It was never that. And I was very heavy handed. Anyone who's worked with me, like I care about what I do creatively. Yeah. I'm involved in the entire process. Um, I don't, I think I'm probably better now than I was then at being a bit more generous in, in terms of like control freak kind of stuff. I don't, I, yeah. I try not to be. I, but, and, I, and I get that. I'm kind of like, I'm the same way with, you know, with, with touring, like, yeah. uh, you know, pretty much, there's nothing that I am not able to do that, you know, sure, on, the te- right. on the tech end. Right. You know, and, and like you, I've learned to go, yeah, you got it. I yeah, know yeah, you know yeah, what right. you're doing. But yeah. p- part of it is I never want to be at the mercy of I don't know what to do. Right. So I totally. at least learn You don't want to end up yeah. stuck. Yeah. Right. And it's, well, yeah, totally. You know, and the other, like, I mean, even, even this, like my, my drummer has a amazing drum kit. I bought a drum kit because I thought of a scenario where what if I need a drummer last minute? In the middle, in the middle of nowhere, and I don't have my own kit. He had to go home with his or something. Totally. Like wow. So like I try to be very yeah. like proactive. But even with this podcast, like every aspect of it, even though I have people who do things for me, yeah, I have taken the time to learn those things. Yeah. How to? Yeah. So I don't necessarily like okay if they can't be here, like if an engineer can't be here or my editor can't, doesn't, he's like going on vacation. Yeah. I can do it. Totally. Can I do it better to him? Probably not. Right, but you know, I so I get that there's a there there's a there's a bit of that, but as I'm sure you know, and it, it's exhausting. Yeah, oh, it is, and boy, well, and I think what happened with us was just a sense of like, hey, um, Josh wanted to be home with his kid. And yeah, we, Aaron and I had both had kids before the band got signed, so we were already you know grown men or whatever. Yeah, before we hit the road, so there was a sense in which it's like, hey, rather than us just slowly dwindle in popularity and let's end the book. You know, I I compare it to the office in that sense. Like, you know, whatever you think of the jokes, the British office ended in what, two seasons, three seasons. Cause they were like, well, we did all we needed to do with this. This is great. They moved on. But like American TV always does the, the American office went on nine seasons and it had four good seasons. So it's like, there's just this sense of like, you know, squeezing everything for every dollar it's worth and I don't care about that. That's boring. Right. It's kind of like, you know, we did the thing. We we yeah. bookended our career with Manifesto and then a movie that told the story of the thing we'd been commissioned to do. And so we ended it. Yeah. And that was it. And that was, and we were like, we're done now. We're moving on. And, yeah. and it was actually Josh, the drummer in the band, who'd really encouraged me to do a solo record. So I waited a good year while I tried to collect my yeah. thoughts and figure out what do I actually want to do with this? Um, and then started writing and, and, and started my solo thing. So I think, you know, and I think a lot of people don't, um, 
a lot of people have trouble wrapping their head around that idea, myself included. I'm starting to come to that place of like, you know, if you told me like pre-COVID that like, you know, yeah, man, in like two years, you're going to come to a place where you're like, eh, if it's over, it's over. If it keeps going, it keeps going. I don't care. Yeah. I would have been like, no way. Never. Yeah. But Oh, I cared a great deal. It's just, <laughs> it, but it was just the like, what is the thing for? Right, right. You know, I mean, and that's, and I think. In, in America, we're inclined to answer, and I'm not even American, but in, sure. in the West in general, sure. we're so inclined to answer that the that with money, yeah, that it's like, well, wait, how joyless is that? Because mm. then you're just pragmatic all the time, and yeah. you know, I think for us, we had the benefit of being commissioned by churches. They sent us out with a very particular purpose. And so that's for that same reason we started, we ended. Yeah. And you know what? I'm so glad the City Harmonic did not spend 2016 through now trying to do the City Harmonic thing. Yeah. Because it would have been just, you know, yelling at the wind. Like right. it, it, people are so caught up in these kind of tribal dichotomies right now that, man, I'm I couldn't imagine a more frustrating use of the last few years than trying as a band to be like singing rah rah let's get along for the next four years, you know. So I'm kind of glad we, by God's providence, ended when we did, and then yeah. we're able to have the conversation a little differently. No, you know, and it's 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 really great to hear the 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 way the the way of the, the band ended because, you know, people assume people assume things. I think because in secular music, ninety percent of the time when you hear a band breaks up, it's because you know people aren't getting along or you know. Yeah. So, some, somebody slept with somebody, somebody, oh, sure, you know, right. things like that. It's like this drama. Yeah. And a good amount of time, people in the Christian industry have just kind of get to a point where it's like, yeah, it's just kind of time to do something else. Yeah. And people can't wrap their head around it because right. they're just like, but they're my favorite band and they're amazing what they right. do. And it's like, yeah, but I don't think it's one thing. It's kind of a common theme that most of the other artists I've talked to, whether it's been on the podcast or not. And I even tell people, uh, and it's interesting because Darren Mulligan, um, from uh, We Are Messengers, uh, it, it was a, just, a, it, and it felt like the most random advice out of nowhere. Like, why is he telling me this? Mm -hmm. And then now I'm to a point where I'm like, wow, you know what? Like, like, I'm glad he told me what he told me because he was, he, I just didn't see it when he said mm -hmm. it. But he had warned me. He goes, man, he goes, just don't, don't, pr don't forsake your family over this thing. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm kind of like, what's he talking about? Yeah. And I realized now that, like, wow, you know what? The last five years, the amount of things I wasn't home for because right. I was off, you know, up in Iowa playing at a church sure. somewhere or at a festival that, you know, playing right. at 9 o'clock in the morning and there was nobody there. Right. Um, you know, and, and I missed my kid's softball game or whatever. And, and it was just like, yeah, it's kind of like, you know, my 12-year-old comes downstairs and I'm kind of like, how the heck did that happen? Oh, totally. One, well, it's it's too it's crazy too she because was, it's like yesterday she was six years old, oh, excited yeah. to go to school. Now she's just like, I don't feel good. Yeah, I'm totally. Again. Like, no, yeah. you're not. Go to school. Totally. <laughs> but it's yeah, and it's just one of those things where I don't think people re recognize the sacrifice because we're not going off doing this thing for millions of dollars or even you right. Know, sometimes it's hundreds. Sometimes it's for free, and you're just like, well, I feel like God wants me to do this thing, so I'm yeah. going to do it. And the, the personal cost, and it takes its toll after a while. Oh, yeah, totally. And, and, and you know, it's interesting. I won't say names. I, I Not yet. Give me a couple of years. I might start naming names. But, uh, you know, I had an artist tell me one time, you know, like, man, after we packed it in, I kind of found myself going, like, what did I do? Mm -hmm. 
Like they kind of, if they could go back in time, they never would have signed that deal. They never would have joined that band and they would have stayed home and raised their kids. Right. And it's like, oh, hearing that from, from this particular person was like, Wow. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, man. I, but I get that. Yeah. And like we, so that's the thing that's like kind of crazy is like, so as a band, we really try, we were really missional. And I, and I continue yeah. to try to be really missional in what I'm trying to do, at yeah. least in terms of like what kind of conversation are we having? Not you and I now, but sure, in, sure. In, in worship and in church and discipleship. Like if, if I've sort of long been a believer, and this might get me in trouble, I don't know, but. <laughs> I've sort of long been a believer that like we don't really need alternative entertainment. Like by the time you and I were coming up, seminaries had already stopped teaching cultural separatism. Like mm-hmm. the idea that we needed to be in a bubble was already dead for youth pastors. So the very kids that we were reaching with our music, you know, the guy of us coming up in the 90s, most of our youth pastors were saying be missional in your life. Mm-hmm. Go off and do things that matter in the world. Don't try to just hide in the church. I mean, use the yeah. church for what it is. So it was already in Canada, in the UK, in Australia, and around the world. Worship music had an obvious function, but it wasn't entirely clear what the function of Christian entertainment was at the time. You know, and I don't know that I, don't, I still don't know that it's clear. I still think we haven't really had that conversation to the degree that we need to. So, which you- is like, what are we doing? You know, so would you say, would you say this, would you say it's just as, if not more missional to be Christians who are in a band oh, absolutely. versus 100%. being a Christian band? Oh, hundred percent. In fact, I would say more. It, if you are a person who can go off into the music business, which is, you know, filled with lies, cheats and, and, and thieves. And good you know? men die like and, dogs. Yeah. And good men and die like dogs. And there's a negative side. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Like if, if you can go off in the music industry and with, and, and, and maintain some sense of conviction and, and use your voice meaningfully and, yeah. and all of that, which there are examples of people doing it. Um, I think there's really something to that, you know? Um, I, but why does the church fight that so hard? When it, to me, the to me the evidence is so clear of the fruit of such a thing. And I point to Tim Tebow a lot because oh, this is yeah. a guy who, you know, I, I won't say he was persecuted. Well, look at Head Welch, man. Yeah, Head too. But I, like, aren't aren't three of the? I might be wrong on the number, but I think several of the guys in the band have are become now believers. Yeah, yeah. And like in a scene where. And why? And that's the funny thing. Honestly, I think we get really caught up in stuff. And there are, I mean, I don't even have to name examples of that going on as we speak. Sure, right? sure, sure. Evangelical church gets caught up on this stuff. Like the irony of the goth scene, right, is that the goth scene is an entire world of music mm-hmm. that is obsessed with gothic Christian aesthetic. <laughs> like that's we're true. talking about literally Christian fashion from the 16th, 15th, 17th century dressed up with these kind of terms of ideological warfare and this kind of like good versus evil thing. It is interesting. And there is a lot, there are a lot of overtones to that. There is something else, but like the entire metal scene is obsessed with Christianity. And so like what would be better than going off into that world and saying, Hey, it's not what you think it is. Right. You know? Um, And so like, I think, yeah, of course it makes sense yeah. to do that. I mean, I th- I think that music is a powerful force. It really does matter. And everyone I know who's doing this in the world that I'm in at this point, who I interact with on a regular basis, means it from the bottom of their heart. There's no, 
you know, in, there's no, there's not duplicitousness in the way that you might expect. Right. Um, but, uh, we're not having the conversation with the audience. We're, there's, it's being had behind this, but we're not having the conversation with the audience about like, what is this doing? What is it for? And I think that's an important one to have. Mm-hmm. Not that we need to stop doing it. I don't think that. Yeah. It's it's more just like, why is this a thing and what is it for? So that we can do that better. Sure. You know, I mean, it, it is, there is a place for devotional art. There is a place for congregational worship. There is even a place for clever, cute Christian songwriting. I think all of that has a place. Yeah. Um, but like we so often pretend we're reaching all of these unsaved people, it's like that's not happening. No, what I what I've like, noticed is a huge amount of, and it's become worse and worse over the years. You know, I feel I feel like I'm pretty late to the party. Yeah. Um, you know, in the Christian music world, but you know, I feel like it really started maybe seven, maybe six, seven years ago. But now it's feel like it's worse than ever. I feel like it's more of a uh, hey. It's less about reaching the unsaved, and it's more about pandering to the the currently saved and the churched. Well, I would say I'd say it really differently. Um, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Really differently. I mean, I and, and the reason I say that is yeah. because, like, radio, for instance, radio, sure. radio's playing worship songs. Sure. And I feel like at least now this is just for me. Yeah. When it came to my early church, like I wasn't raised in church. I was raised right. Catholic, if you will. Sure. And in New York, Long Island, that's just a thing, you know. When you're forced to go to religion on Saturdays, you hate it. Um, right. You know, you have your first communion, your confirmation, and you never go to church again. Yeah. You know, maybe somebody gets married or you have a um, sure. you know, or a funeral. So for me, my early church walk, it was like, hey, here, listen. Some my my girlfriend, who's now my wife, but she was like, here, listen to this CD. Yeah. Uh, and it's a mix of of CCM, which was very much. It sounded sonically a lot like stuff in the '90s, yeah. and I liked. But it a was lot. underground. It, well, it was, I mean, it was like Mercy Me. Jerry Culturally, Camper. though. Yeah, it was. Outside of the church, you didn't know that that was a real thing. Right. And now that's not the case. But the thing for me was like listening to that stuff it, sonically and lyrically. It wasn't so much, at least it wasn't so much like I felt like it was pandering to like, hey, if you're only going to understand these songs if you go to church. It's more of like, hey, you're going to understand these songs no matter who you are. Right. You know? Well, and, I guess there's two, I, there's two sides to that. Um, one, uh, okay. So yeah, there are the two sides. I mean, so I want to, want to clarify something I said earlier. I'm not saying that nobody is being reached by Christian music. That's yeah, not my point. No, I'm not saying that either. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's more that like, it's, it's more that we have in the interests of kind of proliferating the thing, let the tail wag the dog where at a, there, in a sense you were saying at one time, um, okay, what is your Christian art and how can we reach people with that? Right. Um, and instead what has slowly happened is how can we write music that hits a particular person, which, I mean, I've worked in the, mar- I've worked at a marketing consultant 15 years. I know how this works. Yeah. Like they have their buyer archetype and they know what the buyer archetype is and it is not you or I. And somehow middle-aged men and, you know, other groups are expected to produce content that is the most relevant to a very particular kind of, of mostly white woman. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's, that's just not easy to do. We don't have shared circumstance. We don't have shared, you know, life lived experience. And on top of that, um, that kind of pragmatism is really tough. I remember going to momentum for a couple of years, which is this big radio conference. And I said, I, I I appreciate Christian radio in a big way. Like it's been a big part of my career and, and mm-hmm. I think it has a really crucial role. Um, 
But I remember going and, and for a couple of years there, and I think this has changed since, but for a couple of years there, the this person they named Becky, this buyer persona that they've named Becky in Christian radio, um, was aging. Mm-hmm. Which, like, yeah, all people age. But there's something worrisome about your target audience aging because it means that your entire industry is pointing and remaining pointed at a single people group and isn't necessarily growing down, which is what you'd want. Like if you're, if you're the gap, you don't be the gap 40 years ago and then just have a bunch of old people coming into the gap and buying your clothes. Like you continuously reach the new younger generation. Right. Mm -hmm. And so there's, and I think it's started to get figured out, but for a while there, it wasn't like it was, it was kind of a fixed group. Right. So I think for me, there's like two sides to it. One, um, the idea that we need to be a, a, bubble separate from the world. I don't know very many people that actually believe that that's the case anymore. So I think that's gone. And Christian music thrived on that to a degree, right? Don't listen to that. Listen to this. I don't know any youth pastor who's telling their kids to burn their secular CDs. And I'm honestly, I'm kind of glad. Like I don't, I'm, I've been just never part of a group like that. And the, though I though I've recently posted on Facebook how you know, man, driving in a car listening to John Mayer is like therapy. Or uh, you know, I, I was one time was like, man, I was you like, got uh, to shreds, I was like, that... Bruno Mars is underrated. Yeah, yeah. You know, because it's interesting. I actually told somebody, uh, some people, like one time, like, man, I think Bruno Mars should be more famous than he is. They're like, dude, what are you talking about? He's super famous. I'm like, yeah, but the dude's a, yeah, he's a, a freak. amazing talent. Yeah, like yeah. my gosh, yeah, and it's. Um, um, you know, and yeah, I got ripped to shreds. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not, to, but but that's that's often which because, I love the hide comment feature on. Oh yeah, it's my well. So favorite. so like, dude, I think <laughs> I think the thing is like, the conversation in public is often twenty years behind the people who are responsible for it, right? Yeah. And so like, here's the thing: there are a lot of like existential questions around church that people are wrestling with, whether we like it or not, mm-hmm. right? In some ways. Um, we've taken a thing which was be and make disciples of Jesus into believe a thing that gets you in, and then once you're in, well, just be whatever you were going to be anyway. Hmm. And so there's this kind of like confusing element to it all where on some level, like I think of worship music specifically, which is sort of really what I imagine myself to be engaging in. Like if I look at my own records, I would say probably 25% of those songs are what I imagine to be congregational songs or songs that my own church has sung or that I've sung thinking, this is like a prayer we pray together. And then the other 75% I've conceived of as uh, devotional songs, like John Guerra calls it like songs for Monday. Like that kind of like, it's it's worship songs, prayers I needed to process, maybe I'm preaching about something or thinking about something or that sort of thing. And that's what those songs are doing. I don't really think of very many of my songs as like, oh, that's cute and fun and it's safe. I don't, I've, I've, I've never come at it that way. Yeah. Right. And so like, I'm an odd, you know, I don't quite fit in, in, in the world that we're in. And it's partly a product of growing up in Canada. Like CCM, if you will, and worship are perceived as two different worlds and outside of the United States, worship music is like 80 to 90% of what people care about because it has an obvious function. And CCM doesn't barely exist. Hmm. Like it's, it's there, but in contrast, yeah. it has long, the, the reality that has now become true in the United States about worship music, B 
being the dominant thing has long been true everywhere else. Like Christian music was worship music and other things were quaint. Yeah. Like it, it was like, it, oh, it there's almost, that one pop group. That's it, cute. But it almost seems like we're, it almost seems like a lot in, in a lot of ways, worship teams, worship songs, the work, the, the production of worship is what sells a church. It's what, it's what keeps it. Yeah. Sometimes. But I think like, and I, there's a, there's a whole conversation to be had yeah. around that, but like to take a step back, like I think, in a lot of ways, we have transferred the onus of doing and being Christian to the Christian institutions. Mm-hmm. And so b- by that, I mean this. Think about it like your job, right? If you're part of a staff of any kind, any organization of 10 or more, right? Or if you're part of a club, right? There's sort of two facets to it. There's like the work you do as part of your job. And then there's like the work you do as part of being a part of the company, mm-hmm. Right. And so, like, if you work at an office and you're a salesman, the work you do is selling. But a couple times a week, you have a big staff meeting where you're part of it and there's a lot of cross pollination and kind of like, how do you sell better? How do you not sell better? How do you, right? Christianity is a lot more like that than we like to admit, in that the the job of a Christian is to become more Christ like and to help others become more Christ like. That's the job of a Christian. The job of a Christian is not to show up at church, but. Right. But it's been the, it's the been me- sold that way. It, well, By or it's been or or it's some complex mix. But either way, yeah. it's become that. And so it's like there's two prongs to this. One is I'm doing the job, uh, I'm doing the work of yeah. being a Christian and making other people Christ-like too. And in, in by re- deep relational mentoring and all of that sort of stuff. And on the other hand, is sort of this like oh, the church is the meeting of the Christians, and we transferred. All of the evangelistic, all of the disciple, transferred all of it to the institution of the yeah, church we, we, we and to the meeting. Inward, yeah. This podcast is brought to you in part by Tone Junkie TV, your best source for Kemper, Helix, and impulse response profiles. Check them out on YouTube, all social media at Tone Junkie TV. Also check them on the web store at ToneJunkieStore.com. Use promo code GOLLY to get 50% off site-wide. That's right, 50% off site-wide, ToneJunkieStore.com. The meeting, this thing that's supposed to be for everybody, but the problem with anything you design for everybody is that it ends up being for nobody. Right. And so, like, we really need to, and I believe deeply in the church. I'm a weekly Sunday guy. I'm, I really yeah. care about this. Worship music is formative. The primary thing it does is help us to pray prayers that shape us, that help us choose differently the next day. So, like, I don't know that the expectation is on worship songwriters in particular to write songs that make sense to somebody outside the church. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the point at all. Mm-hmm. I think... If there's anything we can do in America, where I've lived for eight years now, growing up in a post-Christian country, right, where it is not socially convenient to go to church in Canada. It is not socially convenient to be a Christian in Canada. Um, You know, that's just reality, right? I grew up in urban Canada, right? So, like— So what is the predominant faith in Canada? Oh, indifference. Indifference? Yeah, like, I think think that would probably be the number one word, right? And only more so now— um, and so I, I look at that and I think, man, like the the job, the the onus of whose job it is to reach the world has been given up by the people. And whether the church, in a sense, 
churches tried to fill the gap because they cared or whether they tried to consolidate power really depends on your degree of cynicism. But like, I think the reality is to some degree churches went, well, we have to attract people or we're not doing our job. When in reality, I think on some level it should have been something more like we need to help our people be Christ-like and live out love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, so that they are attractive people. Well, I think, you know, if, if I've gathered anything, if I've learned anything from this podcast, uh, a few of my guests have come on and talked about their experiences, whether it's been, you know, as a staff member on churches yeah. or, you know, long, long-time worship leaders or, or long-time congregants. And yeah. there's a pretty common thing where they've, a lot of, a lot of them find themselves in a situation of like, you, like you just said, there's more focus on getting people in you know, butts and seats is yep. the exact words mm-hmm. versus, you know, actually making disciples. And the struggle that they ran into a lot of times was the church almost comes across and not all churches. And sure. Not, yeah. Not, I'm not trying to generalize, but, the, but this but, is a phenomenon. But it is, real. it is a yeah. pretty common problem. And it's, it's what actually drawn made me step back from church to mm. go, wait a minute. I, cause I, you know, I, it's one of those things. It's like, once you see how how certain things are, you're like, wait, I I need to really really make sure I want to be part of what's happening. Sure, totally. But um, you know, it's like they see if if the I think there's an arrogance by a lot of churches where, oh, if they just show up, it's going to work out for them. Like, it's well, yeah, there's there's sort of there's, there's a naivety, and I think like what's the phrase? There's a phrase often used in church planning that's something like you win them to what you win them with. Yeah. So if you win them with low expectations and entertainment, then to some degree you have to maintain yeah. entertainment in order to keep so them. So w- what I struggle with too a lot of times is a lot of I notice a lot of churches will they're trying to appeal to people by being like you said the, the come be a part of something. So they put a lot of emphasis on, you know, hey, it's your first time at church, come in the back. And the first thing they try to do is usher you to a small group. And I'm a firm believer of and and this has just been true in my life that who I surround myself truly truly impacts my reality mm. so like i'm you know and, and they say you know you you are the product of the five people you spend the most time mm-hmm. with so for me it's like small group cool who's in it meet them no oh interesting <laughs> um just be you know because i mean all it takes for me one negative person i'm out one yeah sure you know one person who's like you know oh if i i'm i'm too hard of a worker and too entrepreneurial for someone to sit there and tell me all the reasons why you know everything they want in their life they can't have and i'm like i gotta go i gotta go you oh, know interesting and you yeah, give yeah. them all the reasons why that's not true and they argue yeah, there's a yeah. solution there's a, oh they you know they give you back a problem i can't sure. hang out with you so i struggle with that that concept, and I think a lot of people do. Maybe they're not as a self-aware to understand why that's a problem for them, but they'll get involved in a small group. Think, well, small group's going to fix it all. No, no, it may not. It actually yeah, may yeah, make it worse. Yeah, I mean, maybe <laughs> it, it. And that's that's I think part of it is like we aren't really coming at this very often from the perspective of the objective of this thing mm-hmm. is that I will get to know people who are going to help me be more Christ-like in the world. Right. And that's what and that's, I that, look for. That's the point. Yeah. Like that is so and and so like I look at, you know, I think when you know, I've done a bunch of marketing consulting over the years and I'll look at a software company for example. And in marketing, and this is true of Christian radio, this is true of churches. There's a degree to which like something called optimization is pretty common where you look at various factors in how a person goes from A to Z or Z if you're American. And the idea is like, okay, well, we're going to optimize for a behavior that we want and we're going to make a system that best produces the, the result. And so, but where you measure that 
really matters. So if you're making a website, for example, and you optimize for clicks of a certain kind, mm -hmm. um, you can make a system that produces a ton of clicks and no purchases. Mm where you get a ton of people in the door, they get they get to the second phase of what you're doing, but they were never the right people in the first place to go all the way and make a purchase, yeah. right? And that happens in marketing all the time, right? Yeah. And I think in a lot of ways, what you select for, it's selection bias, right? And in, in other words, like, if you select for it, we're gonna make a system that fills seats and fills coffers, right? But put little serious effort into measuring the fruit of the spirit in our congregation. And we're going to consider ourselves successful by the number of people in our church or even the number of people who act cult-like around the pastor or mm -hmm. whatever it is. Yeah. Like we're going to measure success by those things, but we're not going to measure them by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Like yeah. if we're not doing that, you know, then then we're not actually measuring our success by the criteria that the gospel and the New Testament seem to measure our success. No, I agree by. with that. Yeah. And so like we've created a system that's doing what it's doing and it's doing it relatively well. Mm -hmm. And I think there are a lot of people trying to have this conversation of like what role does the kinds of songs we sing, does the kinds of conversations we have, does the structures of our church, there are, this is a conversation that's alive and well, but we haven't landed on an answer yet. And I think we just really need to wrestle through that like, how do we, it's not irresponsible to measure everything people do in the world is manipulative in some way. Yeah. You're going to do things that you want an outcome to exist. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, and you know, everything you're saying, it, it kind of is reminding me, and I wish I remembered his name. Um, I'll I'll, tr I'll give you some details on who he is, yeah, so yeah. maybe, and we'll probably edit this part out. Um, but he was like an older guy with a like bald head. I think his name might have been Malcolm something, but you know he's worked with labels over the years and everything. Oh, I don't Malcolm Duplessis. Yes, yes. Yeah, he's a friend of mine. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say his name like I remember it. Yeah, yeah. So I heard Malcolm Duplessis say. Um, I hope I pronounce that right. Yeah. Um, he was talking about one of, he fe feels like churches, churches yeah. have become karaoke, like karaoke bars. Yeah. And one of the biggest issues with the church is everybody kind of saw like, okay, this one mega church built something uh -huh. huge. Let's copy that. And then yeah. what's happened is, and it's just like when you copy anything, when you make a copy of a copy of a copy, the quality just dwindles. It, and it then, certainly changes. And, yeah. and, and one of the other things he talked about, and, and this is something that I, that I took with me to a church I was part of, and I still stand behind what I had said. Um, and, and the church was trying to be something it just wasn't because they're like, well, this is what people want. No, but it's not look at your congregation. Yeah, right. Look, look, at, the, look at the neighborhood. Yeah, like if, you're, if you, you're trying to you do have, yeah. San Francisco in, you know, yeah. Idaho— it's yep. gonna miss. Yeah, and and I mean, and here the 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 the, the other argument is kind of like, okay, well, when ninety percent of your church is, let's say, farmers, and they're all like, well, let's all go on to worship now. They're not. They don't. They don't care about the latest Chris Tomlin song. I can guarantee you. Right. So we need. How do we serve those people, or how do we serve the community? Right. And be what we are. Right. And it's like we need to. Well, find it's the difference that. between interpretation and interpolation, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that. I mean, you'll get and 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 it's it, it's tough because most musical ingenuity, most musical creativity is a product of someone poorly interpolating something mm -hmm. else, right? I mean, correct. you know, and so, and so 
interpretation often comes from interpolation, but, the, but that, that idea that like what you do is properly or perfectly reproduce someone else's thing. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. Cause that was one of the, probably one of the failures of the city harmonic was like, I operated on the assumption that the expectation amongst worship pastors was that they would hear a song that they would interpret that song in their mode. Right. Right. It never dawned on me that the expectation was that what we should instead do is produce songs that fit into the mode, exact genre, style, aesthetic of what other large churches were doing. It never dawned on me. We weren't from one church together. So we were sort of from these small churches, and we were like, well, we're going to make music we really, really like, but the, the skeleton of the song is going to be singable, and the skeleton of the song is going to be congregational. And we're going to assume that worship leaders are going to go and do that and have fun with that and make that yeah. their own because that's what we always did growing up before multi-tracks, right? Yeah. And I'm not anti-tracks. We use tracks, sure. but it's just sort of like this like, hey, we're going we're gonna to do this in our way. We've got this kind of drummer and this kind of bassist because we're you know a small little church of maybe – 200 or 500 or whatever it's like hey here's what we got we're gonna make it our own you know now do you feel do you is there any do you ever feel like there's too much emphasis or concern on whether or not the church sings along oh not nearly enough not nearly enough oh yeah like the science on that is straightforward okay so like if you look at um and there's this has been well studied actually um, there's been a lot of uh, research done in neuroscience around the effects of prayer. There's been a lot of study in neuroscience around the effects of music and group singing and body language and all of that stuff. Um, and I think we've often had a really weird conversation about this because we ignore the science. Huh. So, like, take, for example, you've got Matthew 22. Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? He answers with the Shema, love the Lord your God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself, right? So there's this. And then he says, all the law and the prophets hangs on these two things. Give God your whole self, every domain of your life. Give to God and love God with it. And then we will know that by your ability to love others. That's basically what he says, mm-hmm. right? Here's the crazy part. So studies on group singing, and I mean literally like choirs or congregate, like so not observational, not watching music, although there are some benefits to that, but specifically group singing, um, produces uh, two hormones in really large supply. One is dopamine, which everyone is familiar with dopamine. Yeah. Um, basically like a, a positive reinforcement hormone. Um, the second is oxytocin. And the shorthand for oxytocin is that it's the love hormone. It's the thing that um, helps you love your kid. It's the thing that a mother is overloaded with mm. when they breastfeed for the first time or whatever, right? So oxytocin is called the love hormone. Um, group singing rivals almost everything except for sexual intercourse, in terms of the production of oxytocin. Wow. And group singing, uh, oxytocin, sorry, uh, has this incredible effect of genuinely deepening social bonds, in, both for the people you are participating with and also in sometimes, the, in some cases, the object now, of could, song. Couldn't an argument be made, though, that knowing that and, 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 and trying to, you know— uh, trying to say, okay, well, if we get everyone singing, this is what this is the science of what's going to happen, and this is the reaction we get. Isn't an argument? Couldn't an argument be made that that's in some ways manipulative? Of course. Why? Why wouldn't it be? Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that, that, but that, that's that, not, that's but one it, of the things that that's make, not the point. Where Where do yeah. we get the idea? Where on earth do we get the idea 
that everything authentic is something I made up. Right. Like that, that's not a real thing in life. Mm-hmm. You know, most of our most common and fond experiences are something that were handed down to us. That's a sure. normal thing, right? If we believe God made the world, if we believe God designed the brain, if we believe God gave you a body, then we should expect that like we might be able to measure some of the outcomes of these things. But the weirder part of that is that this has nothing to do with Christianity per se. This is just the mechanism itself. So the idea is that like your body does these things when you sing in a right. group. Here's the crazy part. Recently, the University of Bonn in Germany showed that group singing and oxytocin as a result, oxytocin produces one of the side effects of oxytocin, particularly with like tingle-inducing singing, mm-hmm. tingle-inducing group singing, produces altruism. Hmm. So back to that Matthew 22, you literally have a sense in which group singing and not group not singing observing, group singing produces in us a deeper love for one another. That's proven fact, a deepening social bonds, an increased affection for the object of song, and a desire to improve the world at our own cost. When we leave. So note to every uh, young artist trying to build an audience, sing like two, three songs that they all know. Exactly. Yeah, that's And they'll true. love you. That's true. Actually, and it's funny. I, that happened this week, this weekend. Um, the, the, the bo- this board hired me to entertain a thousand homeschooled like, sure. kids, everything from like 12 to like 16. Yeah. And, you know, they're like, yeah, we want you to do your original music because we love your, you know, love your songs. Cool. I did my first song. Cricket. They, they weren't that into yeah. it. Yeah. All right. Turn to my guitar player. Dude. Let's play 10,000 Reasons. Yeah. Okay. Had the whole place sing 10,000 Reasons. Yep. They loved every song I played after that. Yep, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what, you, what you just did was you literally flipped an oxytocin <laughs> switch. So, like, so like the now, this this is where it gets really esoteric, but, but I think crucial. It actually reveals something about what a lot of Christians believe to be true about the world. And C.S. Lewis talks about this. Uh, humanity is both animal and spirit. There's a reality to, there's a kind of holistic nature to what you are. Mm-hmm. You are a person who is material and spiritual. The, the tomb was empty. Jesus didn't yeah. be like, I left that body behind. I didn't need it. You right. know? He didn't. No, it's a resurrected body. So the, the, the hot mess of things that you are mm-hmm. is fundamentally connected to who you are. Yeah. And so there's a that. degree to which like, here's where it gets really, really weird. We imagine that the choices we are making in our lives are purely willful. Like I've I'm gone out there and I did the thing and I chose all the things. None of the science backs that up. In fact, people who have this thing called split brain syndrome where they've had an injury that separates, say, emotion from their uh, language centers of the brain from their kind of conscious self, yeah. they can't make a single choice. Huh. And the crazy part is the part that does participate in that choice making, this area of the brain often called the reptilian brain, that has no relationship to your centers of language in the brain. Interesting. So your actual deciding happens something like eight milliseconds, I don't know the actual number, uh, something like eight milliseconds before you're processing through language, which is the way you think what you think, hmm. right? The way you notice your thoughts is through language, Right. So most of your deciding happens before you think it happens. And then you understand, interpret, and contextualize that decision. So you're mostly justifying decisions you made emotionally, huh. right? So what does that mean for discipleship in church? It means our habits matter a great freaking deal. 
the way we shape our emotions and the direction of our emotions matters a great deal. And there's nothing about being able to measure that that makes it inauthentic or fake because right. no more than brushing your teeth every day but not going, today I'm brushing my teeth, brush one tooth, brush two tooth, brush... Nobody does that. Not, yeah. when, they're, not when they're past eight years old. There's a little bit of like... Okay, I'm brushing every tooth. And then eventually you're like, brush, brush, brush. You're thinking about something else. You're doing something else. You're still brushing your teeth. Right. You're getting you're, something beneficial. Your, out your of teeth it, yeah. are coming out clean. Yeah. You know? And I think we've ended up in our cultural moment with a really strange concept of authenticity True. as being that you are at all times, in order for you to be yourself, you are going around expressing every emotion you have as if that's your full reality. Imagine what kind of a parent you would be if you parented that way. If every time your kid made you mad, you acted on it. Yeah. You'd be a horrible parent. No, I it's agree. like some degree of parenting and some degree of authentic, loving parenting is to say, I feel like this. I'm going to act like this other thing yeah. because it is kind, because yep. it is loving, because it is good. I'm yeah. going to be, instead of the parent that I am in my gut, I'm going to be the parent I want and ought to be in yep. the moment. And so that is a degree of acting. The irony is that acting is authentic parenting. You're actually yeah. living consistent with your values yeah. rather than consistent with your perceived subjective experience. Oh, yeah. And so we've instead totally accepted the idea that in order for a spiritual experience or a lived experience to be authentic, it has to be completely in line with your subjective experience instead yeah. of your values and what you believe Man, to be it true. is so funny though that you just said all that about you know um about you know how i guess you know reacting differently to how you feel especially as a parent i went through that just just this weekend mm -hmm. you know i found out about some things my daughter has done mm -hmm. you know which you know there i start envisioning you know like you know burning toys and, right you know like sure you yeah. know just Put you know, I'm building a cage. This is where you live now, yeah, you know. Right. But instead, it's like, wait a minute. I I'm I'm gonna try something else. Yeah. I'm gonna try to understand the forgiveness. Totally. That, hey, you know what? What you did was not okay. Yeah. And so together we're gonna we're we're, we're gonna get to the bottom right. of why you did that yeah. and how to, how we're gonna work together. You never do that again. Right. What percentage of that was compartmentalizing some piece of it in yeah. order to do the right thing? Oh, a thousand percent. Yeah. Had, had right. to put away the fact, you know, the disrespected, yep. the angry, the 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 horror of like ten years from now, what could this manifest yep. itself into? Into you know what. Um, I remember being a kid, and the minute the yelling started, the minute I tuned out, yeah, none totally. of it really affected me except I just want him to shut up. Totally. So instead, it becomes, hey, what you did, it's now it's our mess. Mm -hmm. Let's fix it. Yeah. And I noticed the reaction I got. Yeah. Was way different, way different. than I've ever seen anything. Right. The react I got, I saw remorse that I don't yep. think I would have seen the other mm -hmm. way around. I saw relief, mm -hmm. a sense of relief of like, whoa. She's actually like, you know, there's this sense of relief of like, oh, like you, you're with me right. on this. Like, right. you know, and my wife, who's very like, wait, so you're not like taking all her toys away and I doing all, no, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to try this other thing. Try yeah. this other thing. I'm, yeah. in, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I think if you can relate, you, I know you said you had five kids earlier. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, 
what I notice is my kids get older, I kind of give them more space, mm -hmm. you know, and I feel like, okay, well, now there's got to be a little less space. I got to be yeah. a little more present, a little yeah. more right there in the mix. Totally. You know, um, and so, and, and it's interesting you say that because it wasn't inauthentic. It was like, it was more of, nope, this is going to produce a, probably a more desirable right. result for, you know, for what we're, tr what I'm trying to accomplish with right. my children, as opposed to, you know, well, authentically, I want to flip tables. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah right, so right, so yeah. what you just said, I've just experienced. Yeah. And that dude, you might have just changed my view on church. On like, I've been very salty about church. Sure, yeah. You have me looking at it at a different angle. Now. Oh, awesome! So well, thank I'm glad you, to hear that. Thank yeah. you for that. Because and see, here's here's the other cool thing. See, this is what I wish more churches would do. Talk talk like you did. Because now I go, wow, it just happened in my life, and here's how I can apply that. And right. Holy crap! Bing light bulb. Right. Totally. Let's get back to that church. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think it's funny because, like, you know, in the worship space, you'll often get accused of like performance as though that's a negative thing yeah right and the irony I remember that facebook post yeah well the irony is yeah. that the etymology of the word performance is christian latin it's yeah. church latin mm -hmm. it's to form thoroughly so it's like there's there are things you do that you pretend to do in order to be duplicitous and there are things that you do that you pretend to do in order to become the thing mm -hmm. like puberty is like that you're like oh i don't like kid things anymore I'm going to wear this ball cap like my dad does. It looks stupid on me. It, you know, all the, you think about like I, we, my wife and I got married really young. When we first got married, we were both dressing like 40 year olds just to prove that we were adults. And it was totally, <laughs> it was totally ridiculous, you know? But like there, there was a sense of, of like that was real. There was some real part of it that was pretending to be this thing in order to grow, to step into the role. I needed to grow into the pants I was wearing. Were you wearing right? like a Ned Flanders outfit? Yeah, not quite, but you know <laughs> what I mean, right? Like there's yeah. that sense of like you're growing into the job. You're fake it till you make it a little bit. I think C.S. Lewis said something like, um, how did he put it? Uh, Don't bother waiting to find out when you have loved your neighbor. Simply act as though you do. Sure. And you'll soon find that it's become true. And I think that's very often what Christianity is like. It's not like, oh, I'm saved, and so now I can be an unrepentant ass because of grace. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, I'm going to go through and say, you know, I, I'm going to try to do the Jesus way in all the things I'm doing. And that, I believe, is one of the primary functions of worship music is that we are giving people prayers and language to process so much of what they're going through because all their choice-making is emotional. And so we're giving them language that helps them say, okay, what does it look like for me to go from A to B? Mm -hmm. And how do I, instead of simply pretending to be something or living some hypo hypocritic life, which we all do, how do I live a life that is becoming something other than what I am? And that thing is Jesus. And that, that to me is what worship music is all about. Yeah. The other stuff of like, destination evangelism that's the part where i don't know i don't know whether that's the answer and and it's not that it's it's not that it doesn't work it does work sometimes yeah. people come to church and they they meet jesus or they hear a cd and they that's great and i'm glad that that is the case right but i if i had to take 30,000 feet i'd say man wouldn't it be so much better if christians felt like they had a sense of ownership and relationship over a faith that had dramatically changed their life and that they were then out in the world saying, man, um, 
I really want to tell you about that. Someone's I really want to tell you about what I'm going through and why this matters to me. Mm-hmm. You know, um, instead we're mostly embarrassing in public, and asking people to look past it. Right. And I th- we've got to be better than that. Well, that now how now how do you mean that? Mostly embarrassing in public, like what? Well, like I think I think that there are a lot of ways that Christians are showing themselves to be super naive. Okay. Um, and I'm you know. You could take your pick, yeah. um, and uh, and about things that you know aren't aren't that hard to un, unpack, and yet we do it all the time, and it's partly because like we we've abandoned this sort of well. There's a common marketing phrase, uh, Seth Godin, who's like a really popular marketing guy, he's a guru. Um, he said this thing, and I think it's great. People like us do things like this. Because we're tribal characters, because most of our decisions are emotional, and because we are deeply social species, a huge percentage of what we're actually going to do about whatever happens comes down to what groups we imagine we belong to. Hmm. And in the U.S., I would say a huge chunk of people, and this isn't just true in the U.S., this is true everywhere, but a huge chunk of people are something other than Jesus before they're Jesus. Where before I say, what is Jesus going to do in this situation? Or I have so little context for that because each church is an island in some ways that like, I actually don't know the difference between Jesus and a Republican senator. Interesting. And so like, if we're not having that conversation, then we're each looking at the Bible and essentially looking at a mirror of our own biases and ideologies, and we're not doing the work. It's interesting you say that. You know, I I, I have a friend, uh, or I used to have a friend. Yeah, right, Um, I get it. I just tried to friendly kind of go, hey, man, um, you know, I've had somebody say this thing to me, and and it made sense, and I'm hoping this will make a light bulb go off with you too. Yeah. But I noticed he used to literally be like his Facebook, his Instagram was, was always all politics. Yeah, no, it used to yeah. always be scripture. Oh, okay. it used to yeah, always yeah. be like you know maybe it might be a clip from a song. Sure, it was yeah. all about like loving God, loving yeah, yeah. You know, and and then he started being really successful with his job. So he was trying to share with people like, hey, look up, look at hard work can get you. And yeah, so sure. now it was like, dude, faith, hard work, this is cool. Like, yeah, great message you're sending the world, right? right? But then it turned, you know, it, it almost seems like a lot of a lot of people I know when they become successful, all of a sudden they become like, you know, they, they start playing golf and then they start yeah. to like, you know, talk politics like crazy. But then like, you know, within like six months, I'm kind of like, hey, man, I, I just want you to know, like, you know, if I just now became your Facebook friend over the last couple of months, man, like I wouldn't even know you're Christian. Right. And dude, he was like, that's the most disgusting thing anyone's ever said to me. Why would right. you say that to me, Tom? Right. Like, dude, I'm just looking out for you because yeah. you, you've, you're, 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 it seems like your focus has changed. Yeah. You know, and um, the, the political end of things, you know, get, here's what I feel like is happening in the world more than anything is, and it's, it seems like it's winning. You mentioned it earlier, and I've talked about this on, other, on another podcast, I think with Chris Sly. Um, but, we talked about the idea of of where the church is sort of almost trying to pander a little bit to the idea of like, hey, come be part of something. And, you know, the dopamine and all that stuff kind of takes a while to where you, you know, or the, the, you know, you only get that dopamine fix once a week. But then it became like, come be a, you know, be a Democrat. 
because you can get that dopamine fix every single day mm-hmm. on a foot or come be mm-hmm. a Republican. You get that dopamine fix. Mm-hmm. So it became more of like, I feel more part of something because I That's can right. vote Trump won and right. yeah, comment, 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 comment. Yep. Look at me. I'm a hero. Yep. And I also think that, you know, I've talked about this even theologically where a lot of times I feel like. And, and, and this might be true whether it's the, whether it's music, whether it's um, um, uh, politics, but I and, and I'm even guilty of this. Where if somebody you look up to says something because it's them and you've bought into them in mm-hmm. some way, you're like, "Yep, I, that's that's right. That's, that's right. That's now what I think. Yep, I've done that." Well, I think wasn't that isn't that a Chesterton quote? Um, everyone who doesn't uh, form. I mean, everyone who doesn't form their own philosophy is left with the used up scraps of someone else's. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, I've, and I tell you, you know, I've been I read a lot of books. I mean, as an entrepreneur, and I'm sure you do. Like I've read uh, and a book I've read recently. Uh, it's called uh, Never Split the Difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read um, it. Yeah. And uh, Chris Voss is great. It's amazing. If you've never read that book, read it and then go to a restaurant and use some of the techniques on a waitress. <laughs> it's, it's kind of incredible what you can you know, you can get someone talking for hours because right. you're you're doing some of those techniques, or even get something for free because of the way sure, that's right. why. Because of him, I get upgraded. I can upgrade my hotel almost every time I go to a hotel. That's hilarious. Because I use the exact format. But anyway, um, and it's more ninja skills. But um, he talks about how, like, you know, you you know someone, you kind of have someone in the palm of your hand if you can say something to them that aligns. You know, maybe their thought process and get them to say that's right. Right. Because then they feel heard. They feel you've listened. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times these people, you know, are, are looking for the, you know, if they're looking for you to have a that's right mentality, know this. They might be trying to manipulate you. Right. So be careful. And right now, you know, and, and, and that's what I notice is a lot of people are following this formula. They're following it in marketing. They're following this formula in 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 in, in Republican. Mm-hmm. And I've also feel like they've it's it's happened now with any, you know, and, and you may be. Uh, an agreement on this or not, and we don't have to go deep into it, but, you know, some believe there's an agenda behind the whole COVID thing, and they've chosen to, you know, um, sort of, you know, pick a side. You're either vax or anti-vax. You're either mask or no. They've continued to do that, you know, and I feel like they've used a lot of those formulas to, to, to captivate people and put people in that category well before they're ever a Christian. Like right now, seriously, right. these Well, that's days, kind of my point, yeah. is, that, is that we have these ideological bunkers that we're hanging out in. And uh, to me, um, admittedly, I come from a country that doesn't have a two-party system. Right. So it has a parliament. And in a parliament, you have to do a little bit of collaborative cross-pollination because there's no other way to get bills passed. You know, Um, and that's less true than it was growing up. But I'm grateful for my upbringing in that sense. You know, Um, I I think for me, politics and civil society, right, is a place ought to be a place where our uh, convictions, which we have formed through some kind of examination of, Mm -hmm. of what we believe and why, that those convictions then are acted out in a forum via politics or mm-hmm. voting or whatever. It's a lot easier to understand then how that could be civil, right? Mm-hmm. Instead, what I think is happening is that we are getting our convictions from predetermined or emotionally decided political conviction. So we're like anchoring to an ideology that we don't actually really understand mm-hmm. and then getting our arguments from it instead of doing the work of forming a worldview. 
Right. And I think like where where that gets really weird with the gospel. Yes, a person can become a Christian and disagree. There can be a Democrat. I absolutely believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that there can be a Christian Democrat and a Christian Republican, not in some naive case. It's right. each each has said, oh, this thing is the most important. That thing, no, Jesus is Lord is the most important. Now what do we do about it? Right. And so like with with that, now what do we do about it? The reality is religion and faith is not apolitical, but nor is it politically subservient, nor is it the thing, right. it's not an interest group, you know? It's like, really, you look at Jesus and his relationship to Rome and his relationship to the Sanhedrin and all of these things. It's like, this is a deeply political thing. It just doesn't fit neatly into the buckets y'all have. But, you know, and that's, but it, couldn't it, couldn't part of the issue really be, and, and, Again, this is something, a question I've asked myself, is has the church just, I mean, let's face it, we all have this human need to be, feel like we belong somewhere. Yeah, right. We all, we, we all have that. So could a lot of it just be a failure of the church to make people feel like they're, they, they belong as opposed to where, you know, like a, being affiliated with a political party makes you feel belong or sure. be, being a fan of a sports team makes sure, you feel yeah. like you belong yeah. almost in a better sense than yeah. the church. Because I know for me so many times I've felt like I don't belong here because, right. you know, and it could be just there are certain personality traits I have for better or for worse right. where I'm like, I can't work with these people yeah, or, right, right. I, or, or man, you know, like I'm always making everyone mad because I gave my opinion or, sure. you know, or, and, and yes, I have negative traits that make me not belong sure. places, but I have positive ones too, where I'm like, right. this ain't going to work. Right. So is, is it a failure of the church? Is it a failure of the people or, or is it just not a failure at all? And just the way it is I, on some <laughs> level, probably that I, yeah. I think, you know, I, I think there's a, it's tricky too, because we've all been in that situation, mm -hmm. myself included, yeah. where affinity becomes a major part of what we decide. It's like, oh, yeah. I, I don't, I feel like an alien here. And so I need to, I can't be that way. You know, I get that completely. Um, mm. But at the same time, like we certainly, we're being trained as a, into echo chambers. That's a reality. So there's a degree to which we're like, well, I disagree with some of these people. And so I shouldn't cross pollinate with them. Right. I'm thinking, well, that's the opposite of what should probably be true. You know, mm -hmm. there's a degree of that, but it, N.T. Wright, you gave a metaphor once that I think was really helpful for me. Um, and he sort of said something to the effect of heresy is usually a truth too loud. So there's this sense in which like, if you think about like an audio mix, no, if you just put everything at equal, it sounds awful. It does, yeah. But if you've got the kick drum up and you've got the vocal up and you've got certain pieces of it that are forward and other pieces fall back in order to make music, right, you end up with a beautiful song, mm -hmm. right? Truth is often like that where – and most of the ways in which we go awry or when we're picking one thing and being like, it's all this, you know? And now Jesus does that around love. <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't actually give us other things to say. He doesn't even do that around truth. Right. He does it around love. And so that's not naive. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, yes, your mind, and all of it, and love your neighbor as yourself. So the metric we're given to measure whether we're succeeding as Christians, we've said a couple times already. It's this idea that, like, we are bearing the fruit of the Spirit, and we love God with all we heart, and that if someone looked at us, they would say that we love our neighbor, Right. And that would mean we don't have contempt for our neighbor. That would mean, now maybe you could speak in a way that is say, is prophetic or whatever you want to call it and say, hey, I'm calling this person out for this thing that's wrong. 
right? But am I doing that from a sense of smug superiority or am I doing that from a sense of wanting to build a bridge and relationship and, and go somewhere together as a result, right? And I think it's so often the case in church that we are, we are as a generation, there is not a living generation that hasn't existed inside of advertising. And I work sometimes in advertising. Right. Like the reality is we are being formed all of the time. There's, you know, James K. A. Smith talks about this, like the liturgy of the shopping mall. There's a degree to which passive formation is always there. And so just the sheer volume of information that we have all the time reaching us, conscious, subconscious, doesn't matter, shapes us. Mm-hmm. And so there, if there's any one thing that the church needs to focus on right now, it is not attraction, it is not stemming the tide, it is not anything but genuine spiritual formation and discipleship, period. Mm -hmm. Because if we don't, if we don't double down on who are you actively becoming up against an ocean tide of seemingly passive information trying to make you a tool of something else Mm -hmm. instead, and I, I don't politicize that. I mean, like, it's all, that's the entire nature of our media landscape is an endless stream of identities pushed at you, mm-hmm. right? If we don't make, I am a mirror of the image of God out into the world, and I'm going to rub shoulders with people who push back on me and tell me I'm wrong about it, who challenge me, who love me well, who are invested deeply. If I can't find that, then I'm not trying, you know? If, if we're not genuinely trying to say like what is it that we're actually trying to become rather than just letting all of these things shape us if we're not stopping turning off the tiktok turning off instagram and i don't mean quit it or whatever maybe that would be good for us all i don't know but like if we're not saying i'm going to stop the information coming at me and do the work of like digging into what do i think and why do i think it and how did i get here recognizing that it's not something that happens in a vacuum. It's not like, oh, I'm going to unplug from all my relationships in order to figure out what I think. That makes no sense. You think in a language you didn't write. So obviously everything we do is relational and codependent in some Mm way. Yeah. And so like lean into the relationships that you trust and say, hey, I think I have been a Christian in identity and not practice. Or I Mm -hmm. think I have been waving the brand of Christianity like Nike and not saying, what does it mean for that to actually change how I live and how I engage yeah. others? I, you know, I, I often wonder if, if, if people are just uh, addicted to gambling. <laughs> and what I mean by that is like, you know, um, like we trust too easily. So, mm. so we're gambling with like, yeah, uh, I agree with him. Yeah. And sometimes it works out for us. Other right. times not so much. Right. You know, and, and, and it, it's like that that just because i mean i've done it myself I've, yeah you know I've, I've read an article real quick and been like oh yeah oh oh he did that oh he's horrible yeah and then it's like then the the real truth comes out it's like oh he didn't do that at all oh, yeah right uh, yeah uh, oops you know and yeah. i already spout off to some people about how horrible that totally. one guy is i read the article oops yeah you know, gamble lost yeah and sometimes when you gamble and lose you feel more alive than yeah you right sure you but i feel like really and and, and now with you know these scrolling through things like TikTok where there's a lot of sometimes there's commentaries on things mm-hmm. where you're like, yeah, yeah. You'll watch a 30 second clip of something that happened and you're like, how dare they do that to him? Well then like, you know, and then you know you, you comment. Later, it didn't. You, yeah, yeah, you find well, it didn't either maybe the video was fake or yeah. oh well, 
you know what? They cut out the two minutes where he was doing something right. to create Well, there's that. sort of this <laughs> sense in, like, like all media mm-hmm. is stacking the deck. Oh, yeah. That's what they do. What they so, do. But, but the, the crazy part to me is people on the poles, if you will, with an E, P-O-L-E-S, people on the ideological wings mm. often act as if the other side is stacking the deck. Mm. It's like, no, both sides are stacking the deck. That's mm. what persuasion is is right is stacking the deck so there's a degree to which like we just need to expect more of ourselves right like i have the responsibility to think and share and speak things that are true and good and to operate from a place of love and if i can't do that then i'm just being noise and the last thing we need right now is more noise so i've talked about this before and now i let me let me ask you the in a in 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 Give, try to try to just give me a short answer if sure. you can, because it may be more complicated. It's not my than gift. Short no, I know that, but I, I I want I I desperately want to ask you this. Sure. Again, I don't know much about Canada other than yeah. like you know the terms like Donnybrook and you know uh, <laughs> things like that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I hoser. I I know a yeah, little yeah, bit. Yeah. I only, I know some terms and I know about poutine. Yeah. And I know that they Wonderful in, they invented hockey, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> which I was a hockey player much of my me life, too. and it was great. Yeah. And I miss it. My knees and legs can't hang. Yes, take it. Yeah. But anyway, um, so like, is like Santa Claus, Easter Bunny, Tooth Fairy, is that a thing in Canada? Oh, yeah. It is. Okay. Because yeah, yeah. I often, I talked about this um, a couple podcasts ago, probably with Chris Sly as well. But I feel like one of the other problems we have here in the West is that from a time a child is a child, we're asking them to put their faith and belief in things that they later find out are not yeah, right. real. Right. And, you know, he, then we ask them to become adults and go, well, well this thing. Is right. real in, in as much as the trickery is part of it. So, like, there's two responses you can have to that. One is, don't have Santa Claus, which means eliminate joyful traditions, right? Which and, is yeah. and play acting, which is a totally normal part of development, mm-hmm. right? What we've done instead is said we've just been very transparent that these are traditions. These are fun traditions. This is a fun tradition we do, right? You know, we why do they participate? Well, there's these reasons. Some of it's like Halloween, for example, right? Yes, that's nuanced. But the reality is there's also Christian history and Christian tradition in Halloween. Right. So it's like, yeah, we're going to go be part of meeting our neighbors and participate in this thing. And even some of the death symbolism actually is Christian symbolism. So it's mm-hmm. it, and not always, but not in, always. in some cases. But like, but there is that sense in which like, you know what? Like this is not a straightforward be scared of this thing. Right. Thing, I agree with right? that. Yeah. And so so I, we do, I would say the same thing. Like it's 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 a, a, a fun, helpful tradition. Well, I agree with that. But yeah. at the same time, I feel like what it's created is a sense of like, you know, okay, anything we've ever had kids, because, you know, some people literally will, you know, I'm calling Santa if you don't behave. Right. So it's like, here's this formula of behave and you'll get something later. Right. Be- you know, believe and you'll receive. I hear crap like that all the time. And I'm like, you know what? I participated in that, and then now my kids are older, where all that's behind them, and now I'm like, oh, this other thing you can't see that I've been telling you that you know if you you believe, right. if you follow, it's right. all going to be okay. This is real. Right. It's like deep down, there's got to be this this thing that they're always going to be like, yeah, when am I going to find out that's not real too? Well, and that's the thing that and like, I think we all have that in if we've participated yeah. in that kind of thing, because um, and I find a lot of my friends who are pastors' kids whose parents were like not doing any of that stuff, their faith is a lot different than mine. Interesting, because my whole life, not a lot, you know, so much of what I experienced as from a child to adult 
a lot of what I thought was real wasn't. Yeah. You know, whether it was people not being who they say they are yeah. or, you know, this job that I worked so hard to get wasn't what I thought it was. Right. So many things were not what I believed they'd be. And then now here I am. I have this. If I didn't have a very true real encounter right. with the Holy Spirit. Right. I would question it even more oh, than I probably I, already yeah. do. I agree, I agree with that. I think that but I feel like that's part of the problem too. That the poor church is combating and doesn't. Maybe they haven't quite understood. That's what they're up against. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. I mean, but that I inner think, child. That's like. Yeah. What do you mean? There's no Santa Claus. Right. Totally. You know. Well, but I think that happens in every domain. That's and like you go, you go to get a job and you're like, well, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Adulthood isn't what I thought it was going to be. But we just have no villain. And so we don't. We're not like. Well, I'm mad at being a adult. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm mad at being. An adult. But but you know what I mean. Like you can't be like. Oh, there's no personified version of this. Right. And like so much of it is like trust. Right. Like we expect <laughs> things to be one thing, and then they turn out to be another. That's normal. Yeah. Oh yeah. Hundred percent. Right? And so like I think the the thing I think of in this particular case though, is again the centering of experience. Those experiences are formative, but. The central claim of Christianity is that a Jewish man died and woke up three days later, was definitely dead, and then went away and said, now you're going to go off and do this thing so that the same will happen to you one day right. when everything that is broken is made whole. That's the central Christian claim, right? Yeah. It is not that your hair will stand up on end. Because the truth is, there are Muslims in the world who can report that their hair stood up on end during a worship service. Yeah. There are Buddhists in the world that say during meditation they had an esoteric and ecstatic experience. That is universally shared across many different religions. Your spiritual experience and mine. Mm -hmm. Here's the crazy part. It's as foundational for me as it was for you. Right. If not for the fact that I had some of those anchoring ecstatic experiences, I don't know that I wouldn't have walked, worked my way out of something. But what I come back to time and time again is the cent Christianity is not an esoteric claim. It is a historical claim. Right. Did Jesus raise from the dead? Mm -hmm. That's it. And so, like, if that's true, then every other fact works backwards from that fact, mm -hmm. period. Now, we can't, because of how history works, we can't say... We know for a fact there's DNA. That didn't exist. That's, not, right. a th that's not, not a thing. But we can look sociologically. We can look at all these different arguments and see that. But there is a measure of faith in saying we're not being asked to put faith in all of these other things that we make it about. The one central claim is do I put my faith in the idea that this Jewish guy rose from the dead and that he's God? Right. That's it. That's it. From there, we figure stuff out. Yeah. And and there's and there's that's what we found working in Hamilton, you know, with like trying to get churches of different belief systems who are Christian, all Christian, to work together missionally, was like on some level you go, okay, we need a list that's true enough and short enough that we're going, yeah, these are Christians. This is what Christians are. So I would take the creeds as a good example. Here's the problem for a lot of evangelicals. The creeds is too short a list for most evangelicals, even though it is quite literally the Christian list. Right. Like because most Catholics would agree with the creeds, most Orthodox would agree with the creeds, most Anglicans, most Methodists, most Baptists. So if you need to make the list longer, then the church has always made it, right? Mm -hmm. Not saying the Reformation wasn't good, not saying any of that stuff, but there is something to be said for saying, hey, look, nuts and bolts Christianity is this thing. Mm -hmm. 
And if we can agree on that, we have somewhere to go from, right. which is a really different conversation from all of the other things that become distractions and break trust. Yeah, I mean, you, you see a lot of that too. Like, I mean, I, and I agree. I wish it, there was more of a unity in that nuts and bolts side of it because there's there's people that I've met who are like, uh, I used to do a lot of um, um, like addiction recovery and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. I used to do a, lot, do a lot of those events. And a common thing I'll hear a lot of people say is like, Somehow, some way, they get told by somebody at some point that, well, you're not saved because of this reason or that reason. Yep. Or, and it's like, we need to stop that. Yeah, right. We really need to. Yeah. I mean, or, or the thing that makes it really real is that I feel this way right now. Yeah. Like the, the ecstatic experience. I mean, yeah. how many people do you know where they're like, well, this is the proof? Sure. Or they're like, well, I've never, I've went to church all my life, but I never felt like this. And now I feel like this. And so what happens when, because the brain is attracted to novelty, sure. what happens when you have enough times where you've experienced a thing that it stops feeling like that? Because that's what the brain does. It mm -hmm. filters out familiar information. Right. Right. So now you're like, oh, well, it must not be real anymore mm -hmm. because I don't feel that way now. Maybe it's working. Right. Like, and, and that's why, like I'm saying, we, we measure the authenticity of a thing by how we feel about it instead of going, well, what if the point of Christianity is to be Jesus into the world? You know, and what you just said is so scientific about, like, you know, when, you know, a spouse feels like my spouse doesn't love me anymore yep. because it stopped feeling. It stopped feeling the same. Yeah, but it was probably never any different. Right. Nothing yeah, changed. Your nothing brain, changed. Your yeah. brain is that literally designed to filter out familiar information in yep. order to seek out new information in order to survive. Stuff you didn't learn in high school that could have saved your relationship. <laughs> 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 you know. So, man, um, I, dude, it is awesome that you came on and, and hung out. Thanks for and, having me, and, man. You know, it's cool because, uh, you know, again, my format is just wherever the conversation goes. Sure. And, and I think that what's fun about that is we never know what we're going to talk about. Right, right, right. And it's been interesting how almost every person in here uh, so far, almost everybody, everybody, but, you know, we end up talking about the church. And yeah. there's a, if, if anyone was to go and listen to all of it, you probably notice everyone's sort of saying similar things about issues they see, things that they wish were different, and, and um, you know, and, and you'll also probably, uh, if you're a listener to this, you'll realize, like, I'm on a journey of trying to figure out, um, figure church out, too, mm -hmm. because I'm in this weird spot. Mm -hmm. but, um, but before we wrap up, let me just ask this. So, you, you know, people who may, you know, somehow you missed this. Elias is an, an amazing musician. He has some solo music out. Mm -hmm. You recently put some new stuff out. Yeah, correct? yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've got uh, the work volume one came out in 2019, okay. and then I've got the rest volume one, which was a B-side EP, and I, being a dad, couldn't escape the pun. Um, and then uh, I have uh, the work volume two is going to come out in early 2022, and I've had several songs from that out. Expectation, uh, The Gospel is Rest with Land of Color, who are awesome. I've got a song called Carrie coming out with J.J. Heller, a bunch more in the new year, and then the album. So what's next for you beyond the the, the releases? Are you are you planning to do any kind of touring? Any kind? Yeah, of I mean, I'm, I'm certainly am. I'm doing some, and we're kind of trying to figure that out. What that's going to look like post COVID and all of that. Um, but yeah, no, that's absolutely kind of par for the course. And I mean, I really do. I really genuinely believe that the point, the the reason to do Christian music. It, it might make you some money. There are easier ways to make money. Oh yeah. Like, and, and being a full-time musician gets old really fast. So for me, it's really about discipleship and, and, and sort of being earnest and yeah. art and all of that and making something beautiful that helps people imagine 
the world different than it is and imagine that their life could, that they could become something other than what they are. Mm. Um, and by that, I mean really positively, like, you know, becoming mm. like Jesus in a lot of ways. And so, yeah. um, that's why I do it. And so doing that in a vacuum seems crazy to me. So I love connecting with people and yeah. being, I love, like, it's funny cause there's artists that hate Q and A's. Mm-hmm. I actually think Q and A's are more sometimes more fun than the show. Like sure. you get to really deal with people with what they're act- what's actually going through your mind, you know? Um, so I love that stuff. So, yeah. So man, dude, it has been awesome to have you here. Um, it's like, I'm still kind of like just enamored that you said yes to coming here and and I would love to have you down again. And, uh, just man, thank you for being here. It means a lot. So before we go, where can people connect with you the best if they want to see your content or message you, things like that. The good part about being named something stupid like Elias Dummer is that all of the domains were available. So you can just look up Instagram at Elias Dummer, EliasDummer.com. Uh, you can find me everywhere pretty much as Elias Dummer. It's real easy. Okay. So, but in- Instagram is where you're most active? Yeah. Instagram is where I'm the most active and, and on my website and stuff like that. Yeah, Great. For sure. All right. Yeah. So if you want to, uh, you want to argue with D- Elias Dummer. Oh, argue- I'm in. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Don't argue. I've argued with him on Marvel movies and then later went, he might be right. <laughs> Yikes. But, you know, I didn't tell him that, though. I just admitted no, it. No, no, fair, yeah. fair. But, uh, man, Elias Dummer, thank you. Uh, check out his music. Check out the uh, old City Harmonic stuff if that's new to you. Um, you will probably want to learn that piano part if you're a musician. So uh, thank you again, man, for being here. Thanks, check, check out Elias Dummer. This has been the Tom Golly official podcast. Wrap it up. I'm trying to add value to people. Right. I think that people can garner a lot from these conversations. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I'm not trying to do this fluffy, you know, uh, so let's play five fast facts. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Right. That's just not what I'm trying to do. Right. You know, and, and totally. I, as a as a podcast fan, like Joe Rogan's my favorite because it's just him and another guy sitting there talking. Yeah, right, right. And the conversations are so interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, this is easily the most interesting and probably intellectual one we, we, that I've had. Oh, really? Where, yeah. I mean, it, they've all been great. Yeah. But like some of the quotes you threw down, the science stuff, like that's like, oh my gosh. And I felt like a moron through it. So I'm oh, like, no. dude. I'm sorry. I, no, no, no. It's good. That's that's what I want. <laughs> I want to feel like an idiot. Like I'm learning. Oh, there you I'm go. I'm learning. Sure. I'm stupid. Don't know half the words. I'll look them up later. <laughs> but.